0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to
1: The Sports Fix. A capacity crowd here at RFK Stadium tonight. Certainly, one of the great nights in baseball. There goes a runner. High drive, deep to left field, way back. Gonzalez takes a look. Goodbye, baseball. Oh, Benny Castilla adds a home run to the double and triple and now needs only a single to complete the cycle. What a night for the great veteran. Five to nothing nationals. I don't know about you guys, but I feel this thing moving. This crowd is getting so crazy. They are really into it.
0: That was 15 years ago tonight. Baseball was back in D.C. The Nats had opened up the 2005, their inaugural season in Washington on the road. And the home opener was 15 years ago tonight at uh, RFK Stadium with Levon Hernandez, Tommy, on the bump. Uh Chad Cordero finishing up. They won the game 5 to 3 and actually for a brief moment and actually several more moments to come as you remember, they were in first place in their first season in the National League East in Washington. They made it to that halfway mark, correct me if I'm wrong. I think 50 and 31. Um and then finished 81 and 81 on this season. Uh sorry about yesterday. I apologize. Um I uh, had something come up. Uh, and that may be the case here over the next uh, few weeks where, uh, we take one day off, uh, during the course of the week. Um, but, uh, certainly next week as we build up towards the draft, we'll do a show every week, every day that week. And Cooley's going to join us, uh, before the draft, uh, as well. Um, we got a lot to get to because it wasn't on yesterday. Tommy's with me today. But just real quickly, what do you remember about that night?
2: Well, that was a crazy day for me. Uh, I started out uh, at the White House interviewing George W. Bush that day. I was one of three reporters, Dave Shinin from The Post was another one, and Hal Bodley from USA Today that were invited to interview W. Uh, about baseball, about the return of baseball to D.C. So uh, I, I, you know, like right around lunchtime, I'm in the Oval Office uh sitting there with, with W uh, asking him questions about the return of baseball to D.C. So that was a remarkable day for me to be able to, to, to have the opportunity to do that.
0: Why did you get course, invited?
2: Well, here's here's why I think I got invited. Uh, his press secretary at the time, I think was a guy named Scott McClellan, Yeah, I think. Okay. Well, I had been writing... Scott McClellan is a Sig Ep. He's a fraternity brother of mine. Okay. I mean, not not from the chapter, but, you know, he's right. a, he's, he belonged to my fraternity. So I had been writing him letters appealing to his brotherhood as a fraternity member to get me an interview with, 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 with the president about baseball. Uh, so this opportunity came up, and he included me in this opportunity uh, to do that. So I, I I think that's the reason why, why I was able to get in, uh, you know, with with the other two reporters, and no other reporters were involved. And you know, I, I was obnoxious about it because uh, what did I do? I brought a copy of my book, uh, The Quotable Coach, and gave it to the president. <laughs>
0: Oh my god yes. oh Jesus yes.
2: well, well, you are uh,
0: seriously this was this was two thousand five. Tommy was full impressed with himself at that point because he was still a big time columnist for a real paper. you know, um, what did he say when you handed it to him
2: oh he's look. he he's, look uh, no matter you know, him and I were not we were, we're politically opposite, but as far as being a good guy. I mean, I knew baseball writers who covered the Rangers when W owned the Rangers, and yeah. they loved him. They, 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 he used to talk baseball with them for hours, and they loved him. And everybody I knew who had ever dealt with him, you know, talked about how personable and friendly he was. And he was like that then. He was very nice to me. You know, he didn't, see, he didn't look at me and say, what are you bringing me this for? I'm the president, not you, you know. But I thought it would be a good book. For, him, for the president to have That's, lots of, lots of quotes. Oh, no, you know, Some presidents. Assuming the other two guys,
0: to, I'm sure China didn't bring one of his songs. You know, Dave's yeah, well, a singer and a, and a songwriter. I hope he didn't sing the president a
2: song. No, he didn't. But some presidents, uh, we may have forgotten, actually use quotes. You know, when when they're when they're making speeches right. and, and, and talking. So I thought it would be helpful for. Okay. Him. And listen, I wasn't the problem that day. How Bodley was the problem that day, because Hal Bodley dominated the questioning, and and just was so obnoxious about dominating it. I mean, I I thought uh, either me or Shining was about to jump out of our chair and 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 shut him up.
0: I don't, Uh, I don't, I don't remember Hal Bodley. Is he still a writer? I mean, should I know him?
2: No, he covered. He was the. He was the lead baseball writer for USA Today for a long time. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know what how I don't know what how situation is right now, but uh, he 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 made our lives difficult that day. And at the end of forty-five minutes, the president didn't give any indication he was ready to stop. And Hal Bodley all of a sudden says, "Well, Mr. President, we know how busy you are today, you know, so we'll wrap this up." He decides to end it. I mean, I think the guy would. I think he would have sat there for another hour. Did you say anything to Bodley? Yeah. After I said, "Jesus, how you really screwed us in there," you know. I mean, it it was, but it was still a great experience. We still got to ask him questions.
0: Right. What do you remember asking him? Like, do you remember asking him anything that was really interesting, and the answer was interesting?
2: Well, everything I ask is interesting. No, I just don't remember Mm -hmm. which question. I particularly asked Nothing him. stood I out. Mean, I mean, I could go back and look at a transcript of the interview because after we did the, the White House interview, I had to get over to the ballpark, uh, be, you know, for pregame stuff. Right. But I had to write a front-page story about the presidential interview, uh, you know, for the Times. And then I had to transcribe the entire interview, to be able to print that in the paper as well, and then I had to write a column about the pregame activities you know at, at, at RFK. you know the, the introductions of the old senators with, with the uh, nationals players, they brought out an old senator player to stand at the position with each, with each national player on the field. So I had, I had a lot of work to do between leaving the White House and first pitch. And I don't remember looking up at my computer much uh, to see what was going on. So I missed all the excitement of what was going on at RFK because I was pounding out stuff for hours. And I remember I I, I didn't even stop to look until first pitch.
0: Bush threw out the first pitch that night, right? Yes, he did. Um, Yes, he did. And I, I don't remember if the pitch was a good one or not. I know he delivered after nine eleven though in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Um but uh well that's I mean, you know what, Tommy? So I was new to the station and I think I got to the station in two thousand three, four, but really in two thousand five I was still basically doing updates. You know, I was doing updates and I was a part of Tony's show. And I remember as a as a dc native um i was very excited for baseball coming back so excited you know i've i've mentioned to you many times i am just old enough to remember the senators And I remember my father taking me to Senators games at RFK stadium, you know, and I remember 1971. I remember when they moved out, I had an incredible baseball card collection. You and I have both shared our stories of our beer can collections before, but I had an incredible baseball card collection. I was big into, into baseball cards and football cards too. My mother sold my baseball card card collection, not intentionally, I don't think, but, You know, she sold the house. It was early 80s, mid 80s, something like that. And I'm like, where's my baseball cards? Oh, those were I didn't know that they were important. Um, And I had I don't know what I had in that collection, Tommy. I guarantee you I had some cards that were valuable. What I do remember is I had a lot of senators cards. You know, I had a lot of, you know, Frank Howards and Paul Casanovas and Casey Cox and and Del Unser and, and Aurelio Rodriguez. I had uh, Dick Bosman. I had a lot of, of Senators cards that I would love to have had right now, like to go back I know. and look at them. But anyway,
2: but, um, but listen, uh, just one thing on the Senators cards. Yeah, everybody had a lot of Senators cards because they weren't very good.
0: Yeah, I mean
2: they weren't they weren't real valuable cards.
0: Oh, I so, see what you're saying. I mean, yes, of course. That's. So, so, you know. I mean,
2: you know, you got you got ten cards of uh, you know Bernie Allen or or, or, or or you know Ed Brinkman. I had so many Ed Brinkman cards. Eddie Brinkman. I mean, it was unbelievable. Sure. You know. Yeah. So that's why you had. There were a lot of people had a lot of senators'
0: cards. No, no, that, that that's fair. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying now. I didn't I didn't r I did not I did I didn't know if yeah. for whatever reason losing teams they printed more cards of losing teams. I almost thought you were saying there for for a second. But anyway, um I um I, I remember, you know, having at some point lost interest. You know, growing up with being very young and remembering baseball and remembering the Senators, I never became an Orioles fan. I was one of a few friends of mine um, that didn't. You know, I, I'd go to Memorial Stadium. I went to Camden Yards and went to a lot of games. But I wasn't a big Orioles fan. I, I always wanted Washington to get a team. And I remember, you know, the the number one sign at Redskins games during the fall at RFK Stadium was bring baseball, you know, baseball in 1979, baseball in 1983, you know, return of baseball. It was always such a big push. And I remember the opportunities, you know, in the 70s to get the Padres and other opportunities that came up. And I think I had finally just given up on it. But um, when they came back, going back to RFK Stadium for a sporting event, and I hadn't really been to a soccer game there, but that was kind of cool, even though it really was a dump. I mean, it was such a dump.
2: And, I mean, it it couldn't have been a a better opener with with the uh, home opener with the Nats winning the game. And everyone, a lot of people always remember how, you know, at one point in the game, the fans were jumping up and down in those movable stands. Trying
0: to get the, the, yeah.
2: And the stands were literally, you know, moving up and down. And the players from both teams, like we're looking from their do- top of the dugout at this they stopped to look at it the the Nats players had never seen it before and you know the diamondbacks and the Nats players were just stunned by the notion that the stands were literally moving up and down from the crowd uh cheering and that i mean that i mean the crowd really energized the Nats players that day uh i mean everyone everyone who took the field that day has a fond memory of it for, for the Washington National.
0: that first year was exciting. You know, they actually were a good team. I mean, they were fifty and thirty-one at the, you know, at the halfway mark and in first place. And of course, yes. you know, it went the other way, and then it went the other way for several years in a row. Um, but uh, you know, and I, I, I can remember, you know, when you and I were doing a show together, and I think we started our show in two thousand eight. Um, I think it was 2008 or 2009, right around there.
2: 2009.
0: And you, you really were hard on the learners there for a few years. You were really, really hard on them. And you thought that they, you know, didn't know what they were doing and that they were cheap and that it, it wasn't going to work out with them. Am I right about that? Well, yes. And they don't know
2: what they're doing. Mike Rizzo knows what he's doing.
0: Well, they they've kept Rizzo in place.
2: Yes, they have. And who I might I point out, his contract is up at the end That's of the year.
0: It's ridiculous. Yeah,
2: I know. And and he makes half the amount of money that the other top GMs in, in in this business make. Even though he's probably you know next to Theo Epstein, the most successful GM in in in, 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 in baseball right now, but. Uh, and Rizzo was hired by Stan Caston, not by the Learners. Right. I mean that that was Stan Caston's gift to, to the Nationals. So let's look at the end of the 2008 season. Uh, I called Bud Selig, who was the commissioner on on you know at the time on the phone, and back then you know you, you were able at least when Bud was commissioner, reporters were able to easily get him and I asked Bud and this is when they they opened up the stadium in 2008 they lost over 100 games I asked Bud if he thought he made a mistake in picking the learners now obviously he said no but uh the learners were extreme now, they're probably they were probably more upset about that than anything I've ever written about them they were very upset i was told that i bought that i actually called the commissioner and asked if they made a mistake what did the commissioner but, like,
0: th- he said no
2: no, he, of course he said no. He picked them.
0: But is it, was there you any know? hemming and hawing over it?
2: No. No hemming and hawing over so it.
0: So what was your column? But, but your, like, your Your column basically said you called him and asked him if, if he thought he made a mistake, and that's what really upset them.
2: Well, I didn't write that they were upset. I didn't know that no, they were No, no, but until. you
0: wrote that you called him and asked him yes. the question.
2: Yes. Yeah, I did. And uh, it was a valid question because, like, one member of the uh, – well, like like one member of the organization said to me, who opens up a stadium and loses 100 games? Nobody. It's just not done. Now, they were very fortunate uh, because things went, went their way with, with two draft picks in particular, yeah. Strasburg and, and Bryce Harper. But really, I've I, I, I told people, think of Mike Rizzo as a dam and think of on one side of the dam You've got all this putrid, horrible, polluted water. And on the other side, you've got this pristine, clear blue water. That's Mike Grizzo. He keeps the putrid stuff from getting into the clear blue stuff. Yeah, I
0: I think they better be careful because one of these years, Mike's going to say, I got a better gig and a better offer for a lot more money. I don't understand this going short-term and underpaid. Neither do I. It's one thing the
2: way they do business. I
0: understand that, but you know, the the World Series should have changed that. Because I mean Rizzo seems to like it here. You know, he seems to enjoy DC, which is is good news, and certainly nobody ever wants him to leave, but they're sorta rolling the dice a little bit on the way they handle him contractually.
2: Yeah, they are. They're they're banking on the fact that you're right, he does like DC a lot. And he's very proud of what he built here and he knows how difficult it would be to probably recreate it someplace else. But this is a matter of respect. Uh, I mean, he sees what other GMs who are just starting out in their jobs are making more than, than, than I think the $2.5 million that he makes right now a year. So uh, I just think it's just the right thing to do.
0: All right, let's uh, let's move on to a, a different subject, and this is something. But I got an I,
2: yeah. I, go okay, ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I, I've got a baseball analogy uh, that I was thinking of that really compares to what we're going through right now with the Nationals and with the uh, coronavirus shutdown. Uh, the, the coronavirus shutdown. You, what you're seeing is you're starting to see things pop up in the media and social media uh, from critics who were saying, well, look at look at the death toll. It's not nearly what, what we anticipated it would be. Look at the amount of people who were sick. It's not as grave or as many people as we thought it was. So all this was an overreaction. And I thought, this is like the Strasbourg shutdown. <laughs> In a way, it's like you can't be proven right. In other words, like, I mean, they shut down a a, a healthy pitcher for fear of what would happen if they didn't, you know, for fear of injury that didn't exist. Okay, Uh, And in a way, we shut down the economy for fear of the worst. And that has not happened. But that has not happened. You could make the case because everybody we shut down everything. Uh, But you can't that can never be proven you can't prove that well so, you ha-
0: you do have uh, you, know, you, do, you do have a little bit of a of a precedent for 1918 with St. Louis versus Philadelphia a city that mitigated and socially distanced versus one that didn't i think i think the problem i mean it's actually you're right i mean in, in terms of the way People are talking about it and we're not even there yet. Right. We're not even at that point where people say, what an overreaction, only 41,000 people died or whatever. Um, Right. And you know, we're not, we're not at that point, but I, I, I find it hard to believe that intelligent people won't say, well, just maybe the reason the number was much lower than anticipated was because we did what they told us to do. I mean it doesn't it's not that far of a leap. I mean I love um I mean I I whatever. I don't want the conversation to turn towards this, but I know the um I, already, you know, you've got, you know, CNN and MSNBC and the left basically saying that the reason the president keeps talking about these numbers and how they're going to be lower is to make that you know he inflated the numbers to begin with. He made them so large that he's going to be able to come in under the number and claim victory. Well, he didn't come up with the numbers. The modeling did. The doctors did. The scientific did. Um, well, I
2: haven't. I, I haven't read anything like that.
0: Oh yeah, I've already heard it. already. Not one thing. Oh yeah, well, not you, one thing. Yeah, zero. Yeah, I've heard it. Not I've zero. Heard it, I've heard it at least a dozen I tell times. You what,
2: why don't, well, why don't you do some research and let me know about it? Next well, I'll time. S- I'll send because you an, an I haven't I'll read send here. you an
0: I'll send you an article or a tweet or seven um before the end of the day uh, so that you can see okay. it. Um but you're not are you paying attention to the news are you reading a lot or you just uh, yes, Okay. Of course I am. Okay. Well, then you're 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 really not What are you watching? Are you just watching um Fox? Is that yeah, all cuz I thought you I thought you were much more sort of a liberal. Are you I'm, I'm not watching Fox? Well, then you've then you've been hearing it on CNN and MSNBC. No, no. Yeah, listen. I have. I don't. I haven't, and I I've read it in the post several times too. Um, but oh, anyway, okay. Uh, okay. You really don't think that people think that those number that he's going to try to claim victory for numbers that were set that were set by the the, the doctors and look at what let I did. Give,
2: let me give you a, a journalism lesson. A talking head on a talk show. It's not. It's not. Reporting news. Oh, well, I know the, I know the CNN, difference. Stop being condescending. I know the difference between the reporters. reporters <laughs> have, have any of the CNN reporters actually reported information? No, that I'm the talking President about is talking
0: heads in Twitter i well, I don't about,
2: take that seriously. Well, that's you that's do, what I don't.
0: That's what I was referring to. It's like a kind. Okay. Of, if it if it fit your argument, you would say, "Have you heard some of the people that are talking no. about this?" No, yeah. I wouldn't. Um, yes, you. I would. don't
2: pay attention to that. Oh, no, don't tell me what I would. What do you watch? T- I know what I tell would what do. Watch right I tell me what you watch right now. Tell me what you watch at that. night.
0: Tell me. Tell me the reporters on CNN that you watch. Well,
2: Let Kevin. I watch very little television. I get all my all my news from print media.
0: What what newspapers do you read where you get your news?
2: I read the Wall Street Journal. I read the Washington Post. I read the New York Times. I read various publications,
0: mm, but those
2: I'm, those are the ones I read. But
0: but you don't read the op eds in those papers.
2: Uh, sometimes.
0: Okay, but but, but you, but I you mean, don't that's pay it t- because my because talking heads are the same as op ed writers. No. Yes, so, they are.
2: at blurting out, blurting out on, 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 on a TV talk show. It's not the same as sitting down and writing an article. Chris
0: Cuomo, Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, Rachel Maddow, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram are all the op ed equivalent on television. They are opinion makers. They're not reporters. You said that you only listen and believe reporters and then I just asked you if you read op-eds and you said sometimes. Do you do you find yourself agreeing or believing op-ed writers? One way or the other, or disagreeing or agreeing? Uh sometimes. Okay. But but you don't take them seriously.
2: I don't take them as, I I don't consider those news reports. I don't yeah. consider those facts.
0: Um I would I would advise you um really that even some of these newspapers, and I'm not just going to pick on the newspapers that are obviously very sort of liberally, uh, liberal, uh, slant slanted, but that some of the reporting, I don't even know if I believe the reporting anymore that comes out of both sides. I I think it's really hard for somebody just tuning in and not knowing where to go to know whether or not they're getting the truth. Because almost well, all reporting now, almost all reporting now, seems to be it seems to be slightly, at the very least, slightly biased.
2: That's a myth.
0: No, it's not. Yes, it is. I don't think it is. I, I think it's a myth, I think
2: it's what people a couple of the newspapers
0: you read i re- I read occasionally too and and I read reporters and i'll find an example and send it to you, but I think it's very often biased. I think often their uh, the the writer's political persuasion often. gets often. In, gets in involved words, in the story
2: often, no words you mean often which means happens more than more than uh, i
0: don't know i'm not going I'm, I'm not going to break it down into a percentage.
2: Okay, because the Wall Street Journal it's a pretty liberal newspaper yes, you have it to is. admit
0: I, I would admit it I'd, I'd say the same thing about The Times and definitely say the that wall about the Washington Street, post The
2: wall Street Journal
0: compared
2: is not compared a, a liberal newspaper
0: I think actually I think almost every major newspaper in 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 the country and all I think The Wall Street Journal is less liberal leaning than the New York Times and obviously oh, the Washington God. Post but I would still now the good thing about The Wall Street Journal is you can get More and tend to get more conservative viewpoints in that newspaper. And by the way, notice how I'm not leaning one way or the other in terms of which I like. I like to, I I would love it if we actually had someone on television each night that gave you the news without any bias. Can you name that one person on any network? Kevin,
2: I don't watch television news, it's a waste of time.
0: Okay. I, I, I don't believe that you don't watch television news. I think that's for the purposes of, course of this you conversation.
2: Don't. Because that doesn't fit. I, I watch Rockford Files
0: reruns. <laughs> I don't watch television news. da 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 One of the great show uh, theme music um, themes as well. You know, if you, yes. re- if you recall back to the Rockford Files in the 70s, the theme to the Rockford Files I think was number one on Casey Kasem's top 40 one year.
2: I can believe it. Mike Post, he did all the great TV themes Who back did, then. Wh- what was his name? Mike Post, he wrote the uh, Rockford Files theme. He wrote uh, most of the big TV uh, themes. He did the Hill Street Blues, I forget what else he did, a bunch of others.
0: Um, I'm just looking up to see if the Rockford Files theme actually made it here it is. The song spent four months on the charts in August of 1974 and became a top ten hit in the United States. It was number <laughs> ten for two consecutive weeks in August of 1974. The theme to one of my favorite shows of all time and one of Tommy's favorite shows of all time, The Rockford Files, starring the great James Garner um and he was the best. He he how long's he been dead for? Now. Few years, right? Oh,
2: about about 10 years, maybe yeah. 8 years.
0: What a great actor he was and what a great he role was. uh for him.
2: Yeah. Big, right. big Raiders fan. He always used Yo, to be on the sidelines side line. for the
0: Raiders game. games. Absolutely. Yeah. Um all right. Uh real quickly, my radio show on the Team 980 if you're listening to it, hopefully you are, has switched this week. I'm going an hour earlier. I got moved I would describe it this way, Tommy. I was moved up an hour to 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Is that the right way to describe that? I don't know. Did I get moved back an hour or down an hour or up an hour?
2: I'd say you got moved up an hour.
0: That's what I think. Um, I had a lot of pushback on that when I announced that on Friday um, that a lot of people uh, thought that I had gotten that wrong. Whatever. I've been moved to 6 to 9 a.m., Uh, And that will mean more days now than not that the podcast should be available a little bit earlier um, than it's been over the last eight, nine months uh, as well. By the way, the station, everybody moved up an hour. Uh, Doc and Al go 9 to 12. uh, B. Mitch and Scott Lynn from 12 to 3. And Zabin's show actually goes 3 to 3. To seven, so tune in uh, for the radio show 6 a.m weekday mornings on the team 980 uh, and 95.9 FM, Team 980 app, team980.com. and by the way, if you're at home, uh, and most people don't have a radio at home, you can listen on Alexa or Google home by just you know yelling out the team 980, or you can yell out the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast and at home you'll be able to listen that way as well. Anyway, um, I wanted to get to something that I uh, would have talked about yesterday had we sh- uh, had a show yesterday. This was Urban Meyer over the weekend on FS1. Um, asked about Dwayne Haskins uh, with the Redskins. Listen to what he said.
1: Now, Coach, you, you expressed some concerns when Dwayne Haskins was leaving in terms of his maturity landing in Washington, not necessarily – uh, hitting the ground running just yet, but now he has a new coaching staff in Washington. What are your expectations of Dwayne? I time with Coach Rivera, and I, I really didn't know him before, but boy, I, I really like him and his general manager and, and spent time with him. They asked a lot of questions about Dwayne. My my qu- concerns about Dwayne wasn't so much maturity as the fact of lack of experience. You know, you have one, you have the best year, uh, arguably, no, well, he had the best quarterback year in the history of Ohio State one of the best years in college football history for a quarterback. However, it was one year. And uh, to think he's ready to go lead a franchise immediately, you know, the NFL is such a different game, such a fast game. It's everybody's all-star and learning a new system. And, you know, uh, so my concerns were only that lack of experience. I think he's going to be fine if they stick with him. And once again, what's the common denominator is, will they surround him with excellent players? If they surround him with excellent players, he'll be a great quarterback if they don't, you won't. All right, there are two
0: pieces to what Urban Meyer said on FS1 over the weekend about Dwayne Haskins that that we wanted to talk about. The first is that, you know, Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith reached out to Urban Meyer with lots of questions about Dwayne Haskins. And then that very last part of the soundbite is really the one that I I think, you know, is makes for an interesting conversation which which we'll get to in a moment, but when he says if they surround him with great players, if they do that, he'll be great. If they say, I think the, the exact quote is, "If they surround him with excellent players, he'll be great. If they don't, he won't." Um, we'll get to that in a moment, but I don't really personally find it that you know interesting or or uh, you know like d- sort of conversation worthy that Rivera and Kyle Smith reached out with lots of questions about Dwayne. Do you?
2: No, I would say that's due diligence. Right. I mean, I would say that 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 that's a good sign that that the coach is, is trying to uh, do some homework, uh, and and the uh, whatever Kyle Smith's title is uh, trying to do. No, I think that's a good sign if you're a Redskins fan that they're, that they're doing some homework for themselves.
0: So let's focus on the last part, which is Urban Meyer, Dwayne Haskins, college coach at Ohio State. I'm um, saying, you know, if they surround him with excellent players, if they do that, he'll be great. If they don't, he won't. Couple of things. First of all, I have no idea whether he not, uh, whether or not he says that or would say that about every quarterback. You know that they have to have weapons, or if if he's specifically saying it about Dwayne Haskins. You know, is he saying that Haskins isn't Aaron Rodgers? or Russell Wilson, um, but he's more of a system quarterback. I I don't know. And that leads me to this, Tommy, because I mentioned this on the podcast, and give me a minute or two here to explain, um, maybe two weeks ago, that I heard Dan Orlovsky on ESPN uh, describe quarterbacks as scorers or shooters. And I thought it was very interesting because it's a basketball Sort of description, you know in basketball, scorers are those guys that you know can create their own shots, score on their own, um, maybe a really good shooter, but also can get to the bucket and score in different ways but the the real sort of implication there is that a scorer doesn 't need to be a part of a system doesn 't need others to help them score points, whereas a shooter in basketball parlance would be. You know, a guy that can really stroke it, you know. But when you're just a shooter, you need guys to get you the ball. You're not a, a shot creator or a shot maker. Football terms, what Orlovsky was saying that particular day when I heard him say that is a scorer is a guy that can make plays without sort of the best talent around them. You know, and shooters in quarterback terms is a guy that needs a really good team around him. It might also mean that that quarterback is sort of more of a system guy. So the scoring types would be Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And Patrick Mahomes, even though Mahomes has had a lot of weapons and a really good team around him, I think we all watch Patrick Mahomes. And if we had to put him in the category of, of scorer or shooter, we would say that's a guy that just can do everything and can make plays. Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, scores. You know, Jackson's unique because he's not, you know, not all scores are sort of built the same way. Jackson, you know, Lamar Jackson does it differently than, say, Aaron Rodgers. Um, the shooters are guys. Guys like Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins and Andy yes. Dalton and maybe a guy like Sam Darnold. You know, maybe you you would even throw a guy like, you know, Matt Stafford or Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, Drew Brees might be the be- best shooter ever. You know, he's a playmaker, yes, but there's a really good system for him, and he's obviously been much more successful as a winning quarterback with much more around him. He hasn't been a guy that's been able to elevate a team like Aaron Rodgers has to double-digit wins when the team around him is bad. You know, Breeze had three consecutive seven and nine seasons when he didn't have a lot of weapons and the defense wasn't very good. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, to me, is more of a scorer, even though he's not a scrambler or a playmaker. He makes plays in the pocket. So whatever, you you, you know, it's not really a conversation today about where you would put various quarterbacks. It is sort of my way of getting to what Urban Meyer may have been saying About Haskins, and that Haskins might be more of the shooter, you know, more the Matt Ryan, more the Kirk Cousins, more the guy that needs everything around him to be really good to succeed. If you put everything around him, he will succeed. If you don't, he's not going to elevate your team. Now, give me another minute here because I actually, I'm not about to argue with Urban Meyer, who coached him. But what I saw from Dwayne Haskins at the end of last year was actually a guy that did elevate a bad team, you know, against the Eagles and the Giants in those last two games. You know, that was a bad team that he was playing with. You know, not a good offensive line, no tight ends, an aging running back, three rookie wide receivers, and a bad defense. And he made a lot of plays in those two games. It was encouraging to me. It's one of the reasons I am encouraged. Um, But, you know, I don't know that we've seen enough yet to be able to say confidently that he's any more than maybe the way Urban Meyer is describing him. So, you know, for now, I'll say I'll go with Meyer if that's what Meyer meant, and we can debate that. But if he ends up being a a really good shooter – You know, a system guy that needs talent around him, which, by the way, Tommy, at Ohio State, okay, when he's playing in Ohio state in 2018, he's got some of the best skill position talent in the country around him, you know, and all he had to do is clap three times, look over to the sideline, clap three times and he threw 50 touchdowns to Paris Campbell and to Terry McLaurin and to KJ Hill with, with Dobbins and Weber behind him in a big time offensive line. I personally don't, think he'll ever have that kind of talent discrepancy you don't get that in the NFL you get that in college but I don't know I I, I'm curious if if um you know what you took from that because it's sort of to me some people said to me nah he'd say that about anybody okay maybe that's true I don't know that he would say that about Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson because it's not true about either one of them. They've succeeded. They've gotten teams to the postseason. They've won 10, 11, 12 games without great talent around them. Um, But, uh, you know, to me it's a question of if Meyer is right, it's one of the things he told Rivera and Kyle Smith, and it's one of the reasons that I learned, you know, two months ago or longer that the Redskins were really going to attempt to be aggressive in free agency, to give Dwayne some weapons. They tried with Amari Cooper, didn't succeed there. They wouldn't go high enough on Hooper, and Kenyon Drake never became available because of the DeAndre Hopkins-David Johnson with picks trade. Um, What do you think Meyer was saying?
2: Well, I'm going to tend to think that, uh, you know, your college coach is going to – probably come down on the side of not criticizing you and heaping more praise on you than maybe a more objective person would. So I'm going to think that when, when Urban Meyer said this about Dwayne Haskins, this is, this is as far as he'll go in terms of complimenting him. And when the compliment includes an if, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, well, well, let me just
0: say that if he's saying that Dwayne is more of a system shooter versus score, you know, more of a Matt Ryan, not an Aaron Rodgers, that's okay. If if he became Matt Ryan, that'd be a massive win. I mean, I know people are going to roll their eyes at this. If he becomes as good as Kirk Cousins, that would be a pretty big win. Because if you you know have a good defense, which Kirk never had, and you put some weapons around him, you know, and you've got a good coaching staff, you know, you can that, that's a top half of the uh, of the league guy. You can win with that.
2: But that's not the way the league is going. That, that's that's not that's not the
0: Matt the Ryan and
2: Nick Foles won
0: a Super Bowl a couple years ago, and Matt Ryan nearly won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago.
2: I know, that's a couple years ago. That might have well told be only a f- lifetime ago for the NFL right Why, now. Why,
0: because of one player, Patrick Mahomes?
2: And, and Lamar Jackson. And Deshaun Watson. Mm. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that the, the game has changed dramatically uh, offensively in the last two or three years.
0: So Mahomes definitely took that game over. And the great quarterback, which I think is – I agree with you to this extent – that having a great quarterback, you know, and a scoring type of great quarterback means that you're never going to suck pretty much as long as that guy's healthy. You're going to have a chance, and Mahomes proved that. Now, he had a ton of shitload of talent around him, but they were down in that Super Bowl, and he rallied them back and won against a great defense with a game-managing shooter system type of quarterback. But I don't know. if your
2: college coach says, that uh he'll be really good if everything around him is really good that's not uh that's not a great endorsement yeah I mean, I... you want the quarterback who 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 can get your team to win when things aren't so good now i agree with you uh in in the uh in in, in some of those games at the end we saw Haskins did pretty well without much around him he did perform well.
1: I thought he I did.
2: enough. I think he did too. I think he did. He did too. So you know, I mean, that the point may be moot, uh, but uh, it's not a glowing recommendation. Yeah. Whatever. But... Like, I mean, you know, it's if if you do this, he'll be good. That's not glowing.
0: Um. Your perspective is one in which um, you're not, you know, uh, you're not a Haskins guy. So I, it's not surprising that that's the way you read that. I think they're. Two... But
2: I just said I thought he did. He played well last. Year. I understand I think that. He should but should be you, the starter but, this year. But you
0: don't. But 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 you don't think he's going to be a great quarterback.
2: Um, I don't know if he'll be a great quarterback. My issues with Wayne uh, you're Haskins. Pretty, your are perspective, him and the owner.
0: Your perspective, I think, makes. It, it 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 creates this this impression of what Meyer said that's different than from mine. That's what I'm saying. Okay? okay, you don't think it's very complimentary. I think it's one of two things. I think either this is what he says about every quarterback that if you don't have. The weapons in that league, you know, that y- you can't be a great quarterback, which isn't necessarily true. Although, you know, the truth is, you don't really win a Super Bowl without a really good team um, and without a good defense. But we've seen Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson in particular, and, and I throw Lamar Jackson in there last year as guys that elevated their teams to a level that gave them a chance. They were postseason teams without great teams around them. I mean, the, the Baltimore team was was decent though. Um, but I think it's either this is what he says about any quarterback that he has a conversation about, or what he's saying is Dwayne is one of those guys like Matt Ryan, like maybe Drew Brees, like maybe Kirk Cousins, that really is going to struggle if you don't have a good offensive line and weapons, you know, and a good team around him. And I don't think that that's criticism. I think he's just identifying
2: criticism.
0: the type of quarterback it's not he is.
2: Criticism. It's just that I mean, what, what you said—it's not complimentary. Coach? Well, it's not criticism either. It's not—it's not particularly complimentary. If your college coach is basically saying he'll be great if you do this, I mean, it's basically saying that you need to be
0: coddled. <laughs> coddled's not the right word.
2: Okay. You need to have a comfort level around you.
0: You you need talent around him. Like you'd have, by the way, the it's the same thing you would say about eighty five percent of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. At least eighty five percent. They're
2: very not what few. college coaches would do I don't think it's what I mean, what does Urban Meyer have to lose by giving a glowing recommendation? of Dwayne Haskins what's he have to lose
0: you know it's funny that you say that because part of that interview it was the lengthy interview on FS1 um, I think it was Jason Whitlock who asked him how do you handle the conversations with pro coaches when you um, have a relationship with this player and you want to make sure that this player you know is thought of highly but at the same time you've got to be you know you've got to be honest because these guys are relying on your opinion, and eventually they won't—they they won't even believe you if, if if you steer them in the wrong direction. And he said, he said, you develop relationships with these NFL guys, and you're able to speak to them very candidly about your players. And and you know, in most you know, in most cases, there's a lot of positive to say about the players that I've coached at Ohio State, you know, and at Florida before then, because he's had very good teams. But you you have to be very forthright and very honest um about some of the negatives you know if asked um he said oh he also said essentially and i'm paraphrasing here what they really want to know is they want to know whether or not the person you know is going to be easy to coach you know and that's something that the head coach is going to know you know another head coach is going to say what kind of guy is this does he have good character is he going to be easy to coach or is he going to be a pain in the ass You know, and I think one of the questions, and he didn't say it this way, but one of the questions that that I think scouts always want to know from these college coaches, and it's something that, you know, Cooley mentioned to me several years ago. He said one of the most important things for a scout and for a general manager to find out is how much a guy really loves football because all those professional football players have seen incredibly gifted players completely self-destruct and be out of the league within years because they didn't love it. They just didn't love football. They wanted to be doing something else. And there are a lot of those guys out there that, you know, don't really want to do it, but they don't really have a choice. But anyway. Um,
2: okay, let me ask you a question. How many quarterbacks has, has Urban Meyer had where he could have said anything glowing about?
0: Could have said only glowing things about?
2: Yeah. I mean, Tim how many Tim Ohio Tebow? State quarterbacks are there in the NFL?
0: Tim, Tim Tebow?
2: Yeah, I know. He hasn't had many good, great quarterbacks.
0: No, he, he's, great he's definitely – No, you're right. Ohio State in general over the years with all coaches have have rarely had quarterbacks succeed in the NFL. I mean, I can't right. – I mean, Arch Leischer obviously was incredibly talented – but, you know, the quarterbacks that he's had, guys like Braxton Miller and um, and, uh, and 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 and, Bar- and and Car- and, and Cardell Jones and Barrett, you know, Barrett's not an NFL quarterback. You could have seen that in college. Braxton Miller's playing another position. Cardell Jones didn't make it. And, by the way, the XFL's done, Tommy. Yeah, I know. They, they're filing for bankruptcy. Now, that could be protection, and they might come out of this thing on the other side. Who knows? But it looks like... It looks like the coronavirus claimed the XFL as a victim, but you're right, Ohio State quarterbacks over the years, not um, not good NFL quarterbacks. Um, and what he had at, you know, Florida when he won national championships, obviously was you know was Tim Tebow. and I, I wonder right. what he said about Tim, Tim Tebow as a pro prospect. That is interesting. Spurrier Spurrier had some guys. You know, a couple guys that were here, Danny and and Shane. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, uh I think I think the, the comments are interesting comments. Look, I asked a question today um about Dwayne Haskins, and I'll ask it to you. Right now, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, Daniel Jones, and Dwayne Haskins are all the projected starting quarterbacks in twenty twenty. Rank them right now in terms of future, you know, potential. Not, not who you'd want today or this year, but future potential. Rank them one to four.
2: Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins.
0: That's the way I ranked them. Are you surprised?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, you always surprise me when, when you think like I think. It, it shows a light bulb went off. Usually,
0: um, I would barely <laughs> give Daniel Jones a nod over Haskins,
2: but yeah, it's it's not it's not. A, I, I don't feel great about it. You know, I don't feel super confident picking him over Haskins. You're right, it's 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 a nod.
0: It's a nod. I mean, here's the thing: didn't see Haskins a lot. Saw him here. Saw him play the Redskins and throw five touchdowns. You know, against the Redskins in December, Daniel Jones looks the part. And if you're if if you think otherwise, you're you're missing it. I understand he threw a lot of picks and had a lot of fumbles and took a lot of sacks. You know, a lot of rookie quarterbacks throw a lot of picks, to, you know, fumble the ball and take a lot of sacks. He also, you know, was in year one and now he's going to be in year two with who knows if, if Jason Garrett's going to be the right coordinator or Joe Judge is going to be the right coach. You know, in many ways, Dwayne with Alex Smith still here as a mentor and Scott Turner and a better coaching situation than he had last year may have a better chance here in the next few years. I think it's a nod um, and and just by a whisker because I really believe in Dwayne. I think he can do it. I mean, I, I have concerns, you know, and a lot of the concerns are the same concerns that you bring up all the time. You know, I hope that he is not too thin skinned to be elite. I hope he's not too consumed with other things other than football that would, will absolutely result in him having a shorter career versus a longer career. But I do like what I've seen on the field from Haskins, and I'm encouraged by that. But I think Daniel Jones looks the part too. And I think the thing about Wentz and Dak, I put Wentz first. A lot of my callers had Dak first, in part because, in, in, mostly due in part because of the Wentz injury situation and how many games and how many big games he's missed. But there's not another quarterback in the division that was well on his way to an MVP season like Carson Wentz was in twenty seventeen right. um before Absolutely. he got hurt. Um
2: let me ask let me ask you a question about the Redskins quarterback situation. Does a delay in the NFL season, if that happens because of the coronavirus concerns, uh does that increase Alex Smith's chances of being the quarterback next year?
0: Alex Smith,
2: Alex Smith, no, give him more time, more time to recover and get ready.
0: I don't think so. Not from what I've heard. Yeah. Okay. I've heard it's never going to happen.
2: Well, I, I tend to believe that. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, we haven't heard it yet.
0: No, we haven't heard it yet. Um, one other Redskins related item. So this popped up over the weekend that um ESPN reported that the Redskins were one of seven teams with quote varying levels of homework done on Utah state quarterback Jordan Love who's been rising up sort of draft boards and mock draft boards and you know now looks like you know worst case a mid to late first round pick some believe that he could be taken before Justin Herbert um But the other six teams, Jeremy Fowler from ESPN reported that were doing homework and had reached out to Matt Wells, who had recruited and coached Love at Utah State. He's now at Texas Tech. Seven teams reached out to him and were doing varying levels of homework on Love. And the Redskins were the only team in the seven listed in the Fowler story That had a young quarterback drafted really high recently. The Dolphins were on the list. Obviously, they are, well, they do have Josh Rosen, but we know that they're in the quarterback market. The Saints were on the list. The Patriots, the Chargers, the Packers were on the list. And they're probably thinking about, you know, a post Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, answer at this point. And then there were the Redskins. And I thought that was interesting. You know, it would have been one thing if they, you know there were other teams on there. The Redskins are really the only team that shouldn't be thinking. Well, if you believe in Dwayne Haskins, shouldn't be thinking about the quarterback position. But we know that the Redskins met with Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa at the Indy Combine, and now this report that they met with Jordan Love, uh, that they have in, that they're they're doing homework on Jordan Love. Why do you think that 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 they're doing this?
2: Uh I I I don't know. I don't know. The due diligence. Maybe they want to be the first NFL franchise to have two guys named Love on their team. <laughs> the Love the Love brothers. Love and Love.
0: I bet they wouldn't be the first team with two Loves.
2: Oh, I bet they would. You think? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And that would be a great marketing tool. You know, a backfield with Jordan Love and Bryce Love? Are you kidding me? The Love Brothers.
0: The Love Brothers. Yeah. All
2: Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Um, I have no idea why. I have, I have
0: have a theory. Mark, I have a theory. You, you, right. you want to hear it out? Me. You want to listen to it? Sure. Okay. So my theory goes like this. They're going to draft Jordan Love. I'm kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine if they traded back and drafted Jordan Love? Um, my theory is that they're doing what they should be doing. You know, if they get this killer offer that they can't refuse to trade back in the draft and now they have Miami's number five and Miami's number 18 and Miami's number 26 and Miami's second round pick for Miami to move up to take Tua Tungavailoa vailoa number two overall. Well, there could be another trade down possibility from somebody coming up to get Jordan Love. I think it's one of the reasons that they did all of their due diligence on Burrow or as much of it as they could before the shutdown of sports at the Indy Combine of, of Burrow and Tungavailoa. I think that the Redskins want to be prepared that if they get an offer from somebody, they know what that somebody is trying to get. You know, in, And they know the value of that player. I think that's smart. I don't think it's because they're thinking about trading back and then maybe taking Jordan Love in the draft in the mid-to-late first round. I don't believe that. I still absolutely believe, and I don't know this, I just don't think that, and you're going to say it's a terrible thing, but I'm going to say that Ron Rivera sort of bought into this because he believed it. So it's not a terrible thing right now. It would be a terrible thing if Dwayne Haskins was... Not any good, and we found that out midway through the season or at the end of next year, and Dan said, no, you've got to stick with Haskins. But I think Rivera bought into Haskins for 2020. I think it's the reason he's here. So I just don't see them. They've already traded for Kyle Allen. I don't see him drafting a quarterback. I think this is just part of, in the event they were to trade back, which I still don't think will happen, they know what somebody might be trading up to get if Jordan Love is on the
2: board. So what happens if Kyle Allen is your starter game one?
0: What do you mean what happens?
2: What happens if, if, if uh, for whatever reasons the shortened preseason, uh, knowing the playbook better, whatever, what happens if Kyle Allen is the starter week one? What does that do to Dwayne Haskins?
0: Well, it dep- it, context is everything. The only reason I think he would be a starter, and I think this is even a long shot, is if we basically have hardly any offseason, any training camp, et cetera, leading into the first game. And then maybe they say, Dwayne, you're, you're gonna, we're going to get you there by week two or week three. Kyle's going to start this game. We've got to be able to call the plays and, and run some offense here. It's just the, you know, this is a very unique situation. So, I, I don't how think, do you there... think
2: How do you think Swain Haskins and the owner will handle that?
0: Well, uh, I think that they would understand.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. That's why God. I gave it to you.
0: <laughs> well, I mean. You are one funny guy. In all seriousness, if, and we have no idea what's going to happen, if the NFL says, you know, everything's off and they came up with this virtual schedule and rules. Did you see that yesterday about when teams yeah. can virtually start working out together, you know, and the, the teams with new head coaches are going to get a head start, whatever. It's, 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 I don't even know what it means. Um, but let's just say, you know, this thing continues and all of a sudden it's August 1st and the NFL says, here's the plan. Um, we're going with a live opening of camp on August 15th. Or August, you know, 18th, there will be two weeks of camp. There will be one preseason game. And the regular season will be extended out a week or something like that. Get ready. Here we go. And if, if it's something like that and they're working – and we're, we're hearing, you know, they're splitting reps and they're trying to get Dwayne up to speed on the playbook and Kyle's really comfortable with it um, – And then they say, look, and Ron Rivera holds the press conference, you know, after that final preseason game or the Monday, the week of the first uh, regular season game and says, look, Dwayne's making incredible progress. This is a new system. It's a very unique world we're living in right now. We didn't have enough time to get Dwayne up to speed on it. Kyle's going to start the opener next week against the Panthers at home. That might be my mock schedule week number one. Um, and then we, we think we'll have Dwayne ready to go week two. Uh, what could Dan say? What could Dwayne say?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. What could they say? This is, you know, you buried the lead. We should have done this at the beginning of the podcast. Because you buried the lead. That would be news. That Dan Snyder and Dwayne Haskins uh, would say, sure. We understand. What if, No w- problem.
0: What if Rivera goes to Dan before this, press, this, this, uh, this uh, fabricated press conference that I just came up with, this hypothetical press conference, and said, look, I have to start Kyle. Dwayne's going to be the guy. I may, I'm going to have him ready week two or week three. But if I put Dwayne out there in the opener, it's going to be bad. He can't call the plays in the huddle yet. Hasn't learned them. He's a fast learner. He's smart. He's getting it. We could go with a major scale down. Ver- By the way, hold on for a second. If it's a problem for Dwayne, won't it be a problem for everybody else too except for Kyle? Yes. Okay. So, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going it, to happen. It It's not. If it did, no, because because they'll go with a scaled down playbook for everybody. For everybody's going to need a scaled down playbook. Terry McLaurin's going to need it. Adrian Peterson's going to need it. That you have drawn up. Trent Williams is going to need it.
2: Understanding about something like this
0: (laughs) is ridiculous.
2: I mean, it's absurd. Uh,
0: But you're right. It
2: ain't going to happen. You missed what I. You missed what I slipped in there. Yeah, I thought I heard that Trent Williams son. Okay. I heard it. Trent Williams better be gone by the time that season that season opens.
0: I would hope that 2 weeks from today the draft is over, 2 weeks from today that Trent Williams is gone. God, I hope that they can figure out an answer to that. Um one last Redskins thing actually. So, um I uh I got this simple tweet from this guy. It was a bit obnoxious, but basically Sheehan, you keep saying the Redskins aren't going to contend next year. <laughs> what the hell do you know? You've been wrong about so much, yada, yada, yada. He went on and on. And, I, and, I, and I, I read that on the show today. And, um, and I said, you know, when it comes to the NFL, nobody knows. Nobody knows. That's true. It's, it, it's, it, here's my basis for thinking that the Redskins aren't going to contend next year. It's twofold. One, they're not just, you know, bringing in a new coaching staff and reshaping a roster. They're bringing in a new coaching staff and asking the coach to be responsible for not only a football team and the reshaping of a system and a roster, but the actual changing of a culture. That takes time, especially when the culture's been as toxic as this one's been for 20 years, but for really the last couple of years in particular. And last year, I don't know if it was the worst moment because we could, we could create a top 20 of the low moments here over, over the Snyder era. But having a coach return and a team president return where they had no chance with either one of them was just stupid. Um, and then drafting a quarterback you know, and asking him to sort of uh, exist in that environment. But he's got a culture to change. That's number one. Number 2 is the quarterback, no matter how encouraged I was by watching him last year, is still a question mark. That's why they're not going to contend next year. I don't know the actual answer to that question. If I did, I wouldn't be doing this show, you know, getting yeah. berated by Tommy every other day. Um I would be doing something else and and making much more money doing it. But yeah, I mean that's my, that, that's my reasoning. I think it's, I, I think it's, those are the two biggest reasons: the franchise and the quarterback. And that's always the two biggest reasons in every organization. You know, are you well run, and do you have the answer at quarterback? And with the Redskins, he's got to change the way. It's been run for so long. And then we're still not sure on the quarterback. Why would anybody jump to the conclusion that the Redskins are going to be, are going to contend next year? I think it's a crazy leap. Do I think they're going to be better? Yeah, I think they're going to be better because I think they're going to have a much better coaching staff. So I think they could be, you know, six wins, seven wins. And if they're six and six going into into, uh, the month of December, it'll be exciting next year. But yeah. So what were you going to say? What's your response? No, I to agree that? with
2: you. I mean, you can't say they're going to contend, but but uh, I mean, I think that uh, the new coaching staff is worth two wins. I think the better personnel that they'll have on the roster is worth two. I think I think they can win seven games, and if you can win seven games, one or two others go your way, maybe you can win nine games. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and if you can win nine games. Maybe you can make the playoff.
0: Yeah, but but contending, typically, you know, contending for what? They're not going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. They're not going to be in the Super Bowl in 2020. They are... Could they be a playoff team? Sure, because every single NFL team, all 32 of them, even the team, which is the Redskins, by the way, that's predicted to be the worst team in the NFL, they've got the lowest over-under number on wins uh, per Vegas, they had the longest odds to win the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship, even that team occasionally shocks people, wins nine games, and ends up as a wild card team. Okay, Could that happen? That could happen. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. They're not going to be in the Super Bowl, and they're not going to be playing in you know on Championship Weekend. And that's as far as I'll go. So if contending well, means this was, al-
2: this was, this was always the, the, the one of the many issues with Bruce Allen and and Say Gruden for that matter when they say we're close, I mean and close to what? Close yeah. to actually making the playoffs? Right. That's not close.
0: That's right. No, that's not close. They they've never been in the Dan Snyder era. The closest they've been to contending for something big like a Super Bowl was the RG3 season. They were 20 they were on a roll. They had a 14 to 3 lead in a playoff game at home. They would have gone to Atlanta the following week and had a very good chance to beat the Falcons in that playoff game, the way they were playing. And then they would have played Harbaugh and Kaepernick and the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. That is, to me, during the Dan Snyder era, the closest... Now, some of you will say, well, they had a 13 nothing lead in 1999 season, the 2000 playoffs in Tampa to get to the NFC Championship game. I heart. You know what? I don't even think about '99 as a Snyder year. He took he, he he grabbed ownership in 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 April or May of 1999 that he hadn't had a chance to put his footprints and fingerprints yeah. on the team yet. Um, so um, yeah, the, the, I think the RG3 team had he been healthy, the Redskins were on a roll that year, and you know they were close in Seattle that year in 2005 to an NFC Championship game. Um, and lost that game to Seattle, but they haven't been close recently. As much as I love Kirk Cousins and think he's a good quarterback, this wasn't a, they had a terrible defense. Terrible. They weren't going to contend for a Super Bowl. They should have been in back-to-back playoff seasons and years, and I think 2017, had they been healthy, would have been a playoff season potentially. But, yeah, no, you're right. Haven't been close to anything. Right. Um. So last thing, this uh, Seton Hall Stillman School of Business, this was the polling uh, – the, the the poll that came out a week ago, about 72% said they won't go to a stadium for a live event until there's a vaccine. Um, they had a, a poll out yesterday that uh, 46% of the respondents said – that the NFL season should be delayed. 36% said it shouldn't, and 18% had no opinion. I don't really care about these polls because they're going to change as all of this stuff changes. Um, You were the first to call sports getting shut down, the tournament being shut down. We're a long ways away uh, until the NFL season is supposed to start on September 10th in Kansas City. Do you think we'll have an NFL season start on time this year?
2: No, I don't. You think we'll have an I, I don't NFL season? So. You know, it really depends on whether or not they'll be able to create a TV-only event safely. Other than that, I don't see how they're going to be able to do it. I read an article uh, in that leftist publication, the New York Times, yeah. uh, about an expert panel that was assembled that to talk about life after the uh, pandemic. There's a guy in there named Zeke Emanuel. He's director of the Healthcare Transformation Institute at University of Pennsylvania. He's pretty smart. Large-scale gatherings such as conferences, sporting events, and live concerts won't be safe to attend until fall 2021 at the earliest.
0: Say that again.
2: Live-scale, large-scale gatherings such as sports events and live concerts and conferences, won't be safe to attend until fall 2021 at the earliest. That's 2021. He said you can't just flip a switch and open up the whole society. It's not going to work. The virus will definitely flare back to its worst levels. Now it's just in one opinion, nobody knows what's going to happen, but this is a smart guy, and this is what's got me so depressed this morning. <laughs> this you, know? is, I mean, you were you were depressed this morning yeah, like this guy says when uh, he, he when people say they're going to reschedule a conference or a graduation for october 2020, I have no idea how they think that's a plausible possibility. Realistically, we're talking fall twenty twenty one at the earlier,
0: yeah, okay,
2: that's uh, a bit depressing.
0: Yeah, I think there's a... I, I just I don't know how anybody can predict any of this stuff. I think th- no,
2: but there's there's informed there's in, there's informed uh, opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, this guy, this is what this guy does for a living, right? Uh, and uh, and there's your opinion and my opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, I I would say that you know a lot of these predictions have already sort of come up short of of the mark uh all along. You know, starting with some of these modelings and, you know, the University of Washington thing, whatever that's called and uh, you know, and and a lot of the um, you know, uh left leaning, I'm kidding, um <laughs> newspapers and magazines. Uh no, I, I don't I don't I don't know what to think, Tommy. To me it comes down to this. If we have a medical treatment for coronavirus that essentially pretty much increases the odds exponentially of you not getting seriously ill. Then I think we get back to some level of normalcy, and I, I don't know that we'll ever be back to the old way of normal. It'll be a new normal, but it's not going to be this. And I think without the meds, I think it's really going to be a problem. Um, you know, I, I because I, I don't know that this thing can can go away. And how does this thing stop threatening us if? if we don't have a vaccine or medication to address it again, I we've talked about this before to me, the meds from my standpoint are more important than the vaccine. I want to know that if I get it, they can, you know, call up to CVS or, or Safeway pharmacy and prescribe some sort of medication that I can take. And I'm going to get better. I mean, once I know that I'm going to have a completely different outlook. And I think most people will, a vaccine would be great too, But, you know, you could get it before the vaccine, before you got the shot or or got the vaccine for the year. The vaccine would be the best eventually, but for now, I want the meds. Once we have the meds, I think we go back to work.
2: I don't think it's that simple anymore.
0: Well, if you have the meds, if you have a, you know, a, a prescription that can be written that can keep you from getting seriously ill, then what's the difference between coronavirus and the flu?
2: Or strep throat. I get throat. that. I get that. I don't. I, I understand don't the difference simple. now.
0: Uh, by the way, I, let me just interject. I understand the difference now, and I did, you know, watch Bill Bennett the other night, and I thought it was absolutely absurd. You know, the people that continue to try to compare the the flu to coronavirus, like the flu doesn't need worldwide shutdown, mitigation, and social distancing to keep the death numbers down. Uh, I don't know if he knows that or not, um, but uh, but I, I don't know. I, I just I just want the um, I just want uh, to me if if I, if if the meds are there, then it's not that much different from the flu. Right now, it is. I I, ha-
2: I haven't read anybody of note, and when I mean anyone of note, anyone other than the president, who thinks that the meds are going to be there. Uh.
0: Oh, I have. Um, now, not, not hydroxychloroquine combined with the antibiotic. I, you know, I don't know that everybody believes that. But I have, you know, even talking to my CDC neighbors, you know, they think that, you know, the vaccine's much further off than the meds, that the meds could be, you know, three, four, five, six months away. And the vaccine, you know, 12 to 18 months and then the vaccine being readily available to everybody, you know, perhaps even longer than that. But I, I, yeah. I, I've, I've read more than just the president suggesting that the therapeutic, that the medical answer could be here, you know, in a shorter period of time than the vaccine. I think they're more hopeful on that than they are on the vaccine in terms of a timetable. But, but again, who knows? Months,
2: it, six months would still be a long time.
0: That's right. Four months w- w- might not be. Right. You know, and uh, four months might save football season. It might. You know, here's another follow-up to all this. What happens to, well, I mean, you can make the easy jump. Like, sports talk radio in most areas, this podcast, it essentially gets its air from football. (laughs) It breathes because of football primarily. Now, if there's no football season or football season's delayed, trust me, I'm going to be doing a podcast here with Tommy two days a week. And maybe we'll have to increase it at that point to three (laughs) or nine days a week. But, um, but But without football, think about how much of sports media relies on football season.
2: I agree. I look at. I, I said to my wife uh, this morning. You know, I've talked about it for years. That uh, you know, I love what I do, and people say, "When are you going to retire?" And I always say, "Why would I retire?" Uh, I, I talk about sports and I go to sporting events. Uh, I mean, it's not work. Uh, somebody will retire me when they'll they'll tell me that we don't want you to do it anymore. I never considered the possibility that there won't be anything to do. as as the way that kind of ends it all for me. But I really do I'm 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 you know, I'm I'm thinking that like this may be it. I know. I mean, I I look, I I'm writing for the Washington Times. They, I'm writing once a week instead of three times a week. If there's no sports for 6 months, are they going to keep let me keep doing that?
0: I I don't know. I think anybody that makes their living on you know sports um, it, media wise, it, it, there's there's a whole lot of angst already. I mean, we've seen major cutbacks, major furloughs, major firings. You know, you I saw mentioned,
2: USA Today furloughed a bunch of their reporters for a week.
0: Well, did you read the story about ESPN? ESPN's executives are taking massive pay cuts, and they've asked all of their on-air talent that make uh, more than $500,000 a year to take basically a 15% pay cut over the next three months, a 3.75% pay cut over the entirety of the year. You know, And by the way, who's going to say no to that? You say no to that. And- I know. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're at great risk. I mean, even if contractually they can't do that to you, I mean, they, they can just fire you at some point. I mean, I, everybody should take that, especially in environments like that when you're talking about people who work with you and for you losing their jobs if you don't take a pay cut. And it's not, you know, anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that sports radio in cities that rely on football as the primary part of the conversation. If there's no football season this year, you're going to lose a lot of sports talk radio stations around the country. It doesn't mean that they won't come back when football returns or when sports returns, but they're not going to be able to afford to stay on the air with that format if there's no ad dollars. No, no you know, sponsors. And if they're in, in in and not only that, no listeners because there's no sports to talk about. We've been very fortunate here with what we do on the podcast and on radio, Tommy on radio and in a column, me on radio as well, to have had NFL free agency and the NFL draft to look forward to. Already I've been asked multiple times by people that I work with, so what are you gonna do after this draft? And I and I said it's going to be what we do in you know, late June and July, basically. It's just going to be for a longer period of time. You've got to, you've got to be creative. You've got to come up with you know, things to talk about, things that are interesting to people. And you know sometimes that's a challenge, especially when you're by yourself. You and I always figured it out. I, on the, when Tommy and I used to do the show together, we, we both essentially would, would sit down after a show to start planning the next day's show. And then we would get to a point in planning for it, and we would just say, "Ah, eh, something's going to happen the rest of the day." <laughs> and and nine times out of ten, it did. You know, between yeah. the time we were off the air and the time we were on the air, the air the next morning, you know, four or five things happened that ended up being very topical. Um, but without games and without drafts and without you know, what's going to happen every day? We've had. I agree. Things,
2: I mean. I mean, there's no NBA playoffs, there's no, there's no Major League Baseball season to talk about. I mean, how many lists can we put together, you know?
0: <laughs> well, I do have, and, and I did this, I don't know, three weekends ago. Um, I just created a list of like 25 things if it really, really gets super slow. And, you know, those things are not going to appeal to everybody. Look, it would, no matter even if there are games, there are things you talk about every day that appeal to some that don't appeal to others. I mean, it's you know everybody's own opinion. But you know when you get to the point where there aren't any games and there's no draft and there's no news, you know, like I, Tommy, did you watch the horse thing? No. D- didn't you tell no, me that you were, were going to watch it or not?
2: No, I, I, I so you know it's just like a regular NBA game. What's the difference? Oh
0: yeah, right. Uh, it was dreadful it was so bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you gotta, we'll, we'll be, we're going to be here. I mean, sports is going to come back. You know why it's going to come back? Because it generates so much money, so much money. And it's part of the fabric of this country. You know, there's so, there's so much about it. That's good for this country. And, um, It'll be back, but I'm with you. I don't know what's going to happen with the NFL season. I don't know how anybody could predict that at this point. Um, I would bet that it starts on time, but I would bet that there's at least a 50-50 chance that we get to September and sports are being played, but they're being being played with the way we thought they were going to be played in March, and that is without live audiences, uh, live crowds. I, I think that until you have a a, a, a medical answer, you can't. I, I just don't. I, I don't see that people would want to go to games unless they, they unless they're immune because they got the antibody test that showed they already had it and they've built up an immunity to it. But even that, you know, some of that stuff's coming out from South Korea. People are getting it for yeah. a second time. Yeah, I know. All right, what else?
2: I got nothing else, buddy. I'm
0: just going to go back into the Fortress of Solitude. All right. Go back into the Fortress of Solitude. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Same to all of you out there. Tomorrow on the show, J.P. Finley uh, will be my guest uh, and we will really start gearing up and ramping up uh, to the NFL draft because we do have that to look forward to and a lot to talk about. And and, uh, I'm sure there will be something that will happen between now and tomorrow that will add to the conversation. All right, have a good day. Talk to you uh, on Thursday.
2: All right, Kevin, I'll talk to you on Thursday.